1: Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday.
0: Our final episode of the year, and uh, for our final episode of the year, we have chosen arguably, probably the most polarizing thing that has come on Disney Plus this year. And arguably one of the best. Star Wars and or. Yeah, even, even the people
1: who didn't like it, it seemed to respect it.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, because, I mean, one of the major reasons I wanted to talk about this is because it is everything we've talked about in other Star Wars movies that we want to see Star Wars taken in, in a direction. This has no Skywalkers, no Jedi, no Force, It is showing us what everybody else is doing while the Skywalkers are being Skywalkers. You know, never once are the words Darth Vader ever said in this show. The Emperor is mentioned in passing, but that's it. Like, this is about the regular people in their regular lives in the Star Wars universe... And whether you like that or not, you got to respect that they committed to it.
1: You know, for all of those people who were so absolutely butthurt, and I count myself among them, high first in line for the butthurt here. For all of the people who were so absolutely butthurt when Disney absolutely detonated the EU, this is what the EU was. If you weren't around for the Star Wars Expanded Universe novels back in the day, if you're too young to remember it, or if you just never got into it, um, back when all we had was three movies, a holiday special no one would cop to liking, <laughs> back before that was canon, and... A whole bunch of tie in novels. This is what the tie in novels were. Uh, I, I, I hate to remind you. Uh, actually, I love to remind you. What am I talking about? Have you met uh, me? Yeah. Um, but, our friendship people, <laughs> yeah. No, uh. I I I will remind everyone that th- this was kind of what the tie-in novels were. Some of them were, you know, here's what Luke and Han and Leia are up to, but a lot of them were just like, "Hi, IG88 is going to wander off to, to Blatuine and you know, d- d- hunt who cares EO for Blobby Dot." You know, it just it's kind of just a side story that nobody cares about of what's everybody else doing while the main people are doing their stuff. But it's also Star Wars.
0: Yeah. And I understand why someone would not like this. And I understand why this is the lowest watched Star Wars anything on Disney plus because For all the, 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 for everything, for all of the boasting and for everything, you know, people are tired of, oh, Disney Star Wars is nothing but callbacks to the other movies. It's cameos of other characters. It's, you know, this, that, and the other. It's, you know, everything that it's to a commercialized Star Wars. When they get, it's, it's too much for kids now. We wanted a mature Star Wars when they actually give you something that is everything you say you want in a star wars movie or star wars anything well when it's when you finally get something that is everything you've ever wanted in a star wars project and you outright reject it like this has nothing to do with the skywalkers there's no jedi there's no force there are with the exception of maybe three or four, there are no returning characters. There are no callbacks. There are, this is, you know, nothing for the kiddies. This is the mature Star Wars that everyone says that they wanted. And then they flat out reject it.
1: You know, if you go back and you listen to what we said in our Last Jedi discussion, this is kind of everything we said we wanted, minus the, you know, we didn't we didn't say that we outright wanted them to do zero with the force. We didn't outright say that. I, I said I would prefer the democratization of the force that Ryan Johnson was going for, mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, you, you don't necessarily have to be the chosen one to have the force. This one just kind of went, eh, we're going to make the Force a non-issue. Nobody talks about the Force. I don't think anybody says anything about may the Force be with you or anything at any point. Um, If they do, I don't remember it. This is kind of everything I said I wanted in a Star Wars. And... I freaking loved it. Spoiler alert for you, the final question. I freaking loved it.
0: Um also, um someone uh when this show came out, some uh Jay Stoobs on uh, TikTok mentioned this and it's like I I agree. It's that when people say they wanted mature Star Wars, they wanted Deadpool, they got Blade Runner.
1: Yeah, what they wanted was they wanted the Twi'lek dancing girl but without her top on. That's what they meant when they said they wanted mature Star Wars.
0: Swearing and blood and sex.
1: Yeah, they 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 wanted lightsabers and boobies. Is what those those people wanted. But when you know, the when the creators of Andor, uh, you know, it, well, you know, cre- creator, because it seems to mostly be the passion project of Tony Gilroy and bless him for it. Um, when Tony Gilroy heard someone say we want mature Star Wars, he was like, Oh, you mean you want like high political, anti fascist, anti capitalist drama? And I went, yes, please. That is exactly what I want in my Star Wars. (laughs) Um, There is one point in the series where it's like Andor gets out of bed with a companion. And you know that sexy times have previously occurred. Because he gets out of bed and goes and takes a shower. (laughs) But that's kind of end of sexy times you know like that's kind of the sexiest thing that happens and the fact that they acknowledge in the first episode that there are brothels because the, the first episode is just and or going into a brothel and looking for someone so the fact that they acknowledge that at least on that particular planet there are brothels
0: it was hinted at in Book of Boba Fett. They just did not use the word brothel.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and this this one, I mean, that is very definitely where he is. You know exactly that's where he is. They are not dancing around the fact that he is in a sex work establishment. Um, the woman he is talking to is a madam or a prostitute of some sort that is... You know, I mean, it's immediately apparent. But at the same time, there's no gratuitous nudity. This is not Game of Thrones in Littlefinger's brothel.
0: You know? Uh, and I think that's kind of what people wanted, too. They wanted Star Wars meets Game of Thrones.
2: And but
1: at, but you at, you at kinda... the same time, I love the fact that they didn't give us that. Not not dissing on that early Game of Thrones either, because I liked that as well. There's nothing inherently wrong with doing it that way. It's just a different method, you know, for p- producing kind of the same thing. Not every show needs to be that, you know? They got the same point across that, like, yes, this is a a brothel, you know? It just happens to be the outer room of a brothel. You know, it's the front-facing part of the establishment where, you know... Not the, not the worst of the, I don't want to say worst. Uh, that sounds judgmental, but you know, it's, you know, not the, not the, uh.
0: The private rooms.
1: Yeah. Not the private rooms of the, you know, it's the front facing because, because she says we're not supposed to exist, but you know, you know, we do. So we get the idea that this is not a necessarily legal, according to the empire establishment. Um, so, you know, this is obviously supposed to be like a no, we're totally on the up and up uh, a bar legitimate, or a legitimate, a, a legitimate massage parlor or whatever, you know, the cover story is. So, of course, you're not going to to be in the middle of just like, hi, we're, you know, totally nude all the time or whatever, yeah. uh, which is I, I, I like that bit. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's. People, when they complain about things generally, people who are not used to media critique in the, I'm going to say the academic sense because that is my training, all right? People who are not thoughtful, let's put it that way, in their media critique. Use words imprecisely, I think, when they talk about what they want. So, they'll say things like, I want a more mature Star Wars. And what they mean is, I want a more salacious Star Wars. Not salacious crumb, but, you know, (laughs) I want a more prurient Star Wars. (laughs) I (laughs) I want Star Wars with more skin. I want, you know... I mean for Star of, Wars.
0: For a lot of people, that was what they see as mature. Hence, I use the word Deadpool. They yeah. see Deadpool as a mature superhero movie, where it's just swearing and gratuitous violence. What, what I always
1: meant when I said I wanted more mature Star Wars was I wanted more philosophical Star Wars. I wanted adult in the sense of... I don't want it to be Jar Jar stepping in poop to make the the little kids laugh, you know? I mean, and that's fine if you're a little kid. It's okay to have cartoon Star Wars. But I'm in my 40s, and I would, you know, I grew up with Star Wars. You grew up with Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The people who were seven years old... In the '70s and '80s, are not seven years old anymore mentally. Can we have something said in the Star Wars universe? Debatable on that. Some of them, some of us have grown. I mean, we've got we've got the, mentally
0: the twenty-year-olds who were kids when the prequels came out, and they're still mentally like the prequels came out.
1: <laughs> I'm not talking about the fandom menace side of the fandom, okay you know, some of us have matured mentally past the age we were when we were first introduced to Star Wars. Can we have something set in the Star Wars universe, which is broad and vast and interesting and deep, but that speaks to, you know, issues of the day which was kind of what George Lucas was attempting to do in 1977
0: I mean you know? we, that's kind of where in Rogue One was and that started the whole oh Star Wars has gone woke and like if you paid attention Star Wars was always woke
1: yeah um but the thing is is that the politics have slightly shifted uh, sadly not enough but you know you you do need to to shift slightly, and I think that's what Tony Gilroy is trying to say, like, George Lucas had a good idea, but you need to understand the moment, so Andor is attempting to use the backdrop of Star Wars to speak to the current moment, and what is this like for the people on the ground?
0: And I mentioned the younger fan, the 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 twenty year olds, uh, almost yeah, the the people in their early and late twenties who started watching Star Wars with the prequels when they came out. Hell, some of them are almost thirty, and you know, to them, Star Wars. They're so detached from the politics of the era when they came out that they think this is all fantasy. But now you're putting something that to them is real-world politics into Star Wars. Star Wars is getting woke. When the original Star Wars was George Lucas's critique on the Vietnam War. The prequel trilogy was also George Lucas's critique on the Gulf War. And especially the presidential run of uh, George Bush Jr.
1: And the the problem is, though, is that the politics of the original trilogy really did work. Mm. There were things in there kids could like. You know, it's still a movie that works if you show it to your kids. But... The sort of political aspect there works. And say what you want about Ewoks, it still does kind of work as a parallel for, you know, things like the Viet Cong and a a smaller uh, force in their own environment
0: going up against a larger invading imperial force. Or even, I mean, uh, in the indigenous people of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And the Colin just came in.
1: By the time we got around to the the prequels, though, the political allegories did not work quite as well. The story structure was not as tightly written. Uh, and you know we we haven't discussed in depth on our show the the prequels yet, but. Most people understand that the the actual scripts were not as, as tightly written. And so the kid aspects tended to overshadow the political aspects. And most people that grew up in that era tended to forget that they were there. Because you tend to gloss over the Ideas of the trade embargoes and going in with colonial forces and trying to take over and what is happening on Naboo and
0: you know for kids that's you know the 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 Senate stuff is boring. Show me more lightsabers. Show me Jar Jar Binks. Show me the four armed droid each holding a lightsaber.
1: Show me the pod race. Show me yeah. the yeah. Yeah. Um so you forget what it, the movie is kind of saying about things like slavery and things like the balance between the indigenous people's on Naboo and you know all this kind of stuff. So it it, it breaks down a bit and I think there's an entire generation that kind of lost the plot literally In the what Star Wars was trying to say. And unfortunately, we've only talked about the middle movie really in the Disney trilogy. It was because of the way they changed directors and changed tacks in the middle of what they were doing. They did not have as coherent a storyline going through.
0: It's also J.J. Abrams with the nostalgia of the old Star Wars and wanting to focus on the nostalgia versus Ryan Johnson, who wants to go forward and tell Star Wars in a different way. And because his way was different we live in a world where different equals bad. So by by that automatically, anything that isn't old school Star Wars or lightsabers clashing and Jedi force pushes is bad.
1: Yeah. And it, it was an unfortunate lost opportunity because there is a lot that could have been said there about people trying to resurrect the... The First Order in the shadow of the Empire, not to, you know, bring that pun into it, but, you know, that kind of idea of the people who are looking back nostalgically at this thing that was pure evil and going, hey, let's try that again, which we are seeing in the real world. Yeah. You know, of these people who are who are looking back and going like, hey, you know, that thing that everybody decided was a really bad idea, let's try to do that part two. And everybody going like, we thought we were done with that. What are you guys doing?
0: In the you real know? world is, you know, in the real world, it's like we had a war about this. The whole world was involved in Star Wars is we had a war and the entire universe was involved.
1: Yeah, we had a galactic war about this. We thought we were done. What are you guys doing? You know, which is, I mean, it's a perfect parallel, and Star Wars is the exact right environment to talk about that. And instead, in the real world, we let those voices bully them into just about facing right at the point where they were making the perfect point. Which we talked about in our last Jedi episode. So I really love that here comes a film like Rogue One, you know, with with uh, Tony Gilroy at, at writing it you know, and Gareth Edwards directing it. And then Andor, which, you know, is just kind of Tony Gilroy's baby from beginning to end. And they're like, no, no, no. We're, we're going to go back to that. Even if it has to be kind of in a, in a prequel ish sense, because we're going back to the time of the empire. Mm -hmm and we're we're going to talk about this from the ground up and i absolutely admire everybody who was in this because the rogue one idea which we haven't gotten to talk about the movie yet and i i hope we we will was just based on that one kind of throwaway line from Mon Mothma in the first Star Wars film. When it's like, we got the Death Star plans, many Bothans died to bring us these plans, you know, and it was like, well, how did the rebels get those plans? And somebody went, well, let's make an entire movie on
0: how did the rebels get those plans? And for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, including people we know, close friends of ours, thought that is the dumbest premise for a Star Wars movie, who cares? And it ended up being one of the best Star Wars movies.
1: Yeah, and also it was, you know, people were, had been asking for years, and it's always one of those, you know, nerd things where people go, you know, shut up, who cares, it's just a plot point. But why would the Empire build the Death Star and then have such a massive flaw in the design? And the movie answers that question of, well, why is that design flaw there? And it turns out that, yeah, there's actually a reason. And honestly, you can love the movie or hate the movie, but I kind of like why there's a design flaw there. I like the the reason that the movie gives for it being there Mm. um and so the idea of of the movie and just being the spoilers for Rogue One because you can't talk about Andor with Without spoilers for Rogue One. So, you know, and of course, it's going to be spoilers for the entire and/or se- series, season one. Um, so, you know, jump out now if that's not what you want. But the, uh, you know, every single person in that film dies horribly.
0: I mean, it is a downer movie and it and not just heroes but the main villain basically every character that we follow in this movie dies and it's a nice way of showing war that yes people die the good guys die the bad guys die everyone on the front line dies
1: but but the the point of the the film is that finally they do get those schematics to Leia and Leia's final line is that with their deaths, the the rebel deaths at least are the ones that brought hope. You know, the Imperial deaths are there, they are seen as so pointless and such a waste because they are absolutely unnecessary. They are thrown away by their commanders. The man who spends his entire, the entire film building the Death Star is left there to be killed by the Death Star. He could have gotten off the the planet. You know, they could have have pulled him off the planet but they just leave him there because he's no longer needed. Yeah, he he's he's performed his function. He's now superfluous to the empire. So why even bother? It's a it's a waste of manpower at this point. Just leave him there to die, which is the point of the empire. the The rebellion, of course, they are in mourning for the sacrifices of the the people who have given their lives. But we see it with Leia. We see it with all the people who have fought valiantly to get this information through. And of course we as the audience who have seen the films that come after this chronologically we know that this bit of information will eventually bring down that very weapon. And we know that all of this sacrifice is eventually not in vain. It is horrific and it is a great cost. It will eventually cost Leia everyone and everything, you know, she knows this very weapon will take out her home planet, her family, you know, her uh, I,
0: mother, I mean, her, her adopted mother, her adopted father, Everyone she knows.
1: Yeah. um, This this is horrific and tragic and we know the cost of it but that one act of bravery and all of the people we have been following eventually do not die for nothing.
0: They don't die in vain, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so we do feel the the weight of it and the, the hope that Leia does say at the end.
0: Um, but all people want to talk about is, look how badass Darth Vader is.
1: Yeah. I mean, which... Also, yes. You know, it is the first time in Star Wars that we actually see him, you know, be the uh, person they kind of tell us You know, it's the first time they show don't tell on The Monster
0: everyone says he is.
1: Yeah. Um but the uh and it also makes Leia so much more badass because we know when she says at the beginning of New Hope, like, Nope, we're just a diplomatic mission. We're like, Girl, like five minutes before this, you were he was on your ship murdering all your people. (laughs) That was the biggest spinal move you would get, like a character in film history then. They just made Leia
0: more awesome than Leia ever was with that one move. The kid who literally gets caught in the cookie jar. I'm not stealing cookies at all. No, my kid, my arm fell in here.
1: (laughs) You are covered in crumbs, my girl, and that's the line you go with? Respect. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. But so Andor answers the question of, like, what takes a man from the person who wants to keep their head down and stay out of it to being the guy who will be willing to walk barefoot through hell and give his life for just the absolute barest chance of doing any damage to the Empire.
0: He's willing to kill in the name of the uh, of the resistance.
1: He's- I mean, Andor in Rogue One is willing to do some extreme
0: things. He's everything people think Han Solo is, at least in that one movie like oh you know he's he's doing this in the name of uh, uh of goodness you know he yeah he kills people but he's actually a good guy rather than he's just the selfish rogue we see him in the first film
1: yeah and he's not a goofball like he's i mean he's diego luna portrays him as just it's it's really hard to dislike diego luna <laughs> because he he does have that personality that just kind of makes you want to go oh he exudes this likability just on screen and and off. He
0: reminds so, me a lot. I mean, there's a reason so many people want him and Pedro Pascal to do a thing together because they're just so likable both on and off screen.
1: Uh, yeah, you just you just he's if you've ever heard <laughs> Diego Luna Talk about his crush on Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) It's hard not to just be like, "Oh, you are such a weirdo little fanboy, and I love you for that. But, you know, the idea of Cassian Andor as this guy who has seen some crap and been through it, and by the time he meets up with Jyn Erso in Rogue One and just being like, nope, we're doing the thing and nothing's going to, you know, dissuade me from that. And having, having the idea of going back and seeing, like, what got this man to that point?
0: This series is really the story of two people. One who is outright rejecting the call to adventure and one who is desperately seeking it. Because we have Cassian, who, as you said, he is rejecting the call to adventure. The hero's journey is in front of them, and he's saying no. And then you have Cyril, who is waiting, for lack of a better term, waiting for his Hogwarts letter. And it ain't coming. He wants to be the hero so badly, but he is the lowest rung on the ladder, and he hates it. You know, he wants to be this badass, he wants to be the hero, he wants to get the girl, and it ain't happening for him. And he doesn't understand why. And I love that opposite dynamic between the two characters.
2: Well, he
1: is... Those two characters, you know, when you've got Cassie and Andor on the rebel side for lack of a better word, you know, which Andor is not initially. And then you have this rent-a-cop Cyril Karn, who is just the absolute epitome of and we all know at least one. If you don't know him personally, you know him in the the media or on social media or, you know, you can think of a guy you've, you've run across like this. And I mean, I hate to say it, but it's almost always a guy. He is a person who has been told that he is owed something. And so he is waiting for that. Like, I am, I'm, I'm here. I've, I've done the right thing. I've upheld the status quo. I've done my he, job to the letter. I've, you know,
0: all in on the empire. He is the empirist empire member.
1: Well, initially, he's not even really the empire, he's the company man. In a very 1950s Americana version of that, like this guy is very Mad Men. Mm. Like you could put him working next to Don Draper in Mad Men and he's the exact same character. With the same haircut, like you just put him in a 1950s business suit with the same haircut and he's he's the same guy. You know, he's got his checklist of things to do. He's very inflexible. And even when his boss says, hey, look the other way. You know. Mm. um, It's he can't he can't do it even when he, even when it's gonna cost him his job. Um, And that's when he becomes the kind of pro empire guy is that the corporation is no longer serving him. His boss tells him, if you keep going down this line of inquiry, the, the empire is going to take over. The, the corp is no longer going to have the, the authority here. The empire is going to come in and take over. Well, maybe they should. (laughs) And Cyril's going to be like, well, if you're not going to enforce the rules, maybe somebody else should enforce the rules. Like, go Empire. And I think that's kind of where he goes all in. But the, the problem is, is that fascism as an ideology is a death cult of a snake eating its own tail. It has to have... An in-group and an out-group. It is how it stabilizes itself at first. So when it comes into an area, it establishes itself by saying, we are the in-group and there is a definite out-group, and the out-group causes all of the problems.
0: The irony of the white man who feels all of his problems are because of this one Mexican guy isn't lost on me.
1: Yeah, and it's it's very clearly set up at the beginning, because what do the cops say to Cassian Andor, who is played by a Mexican actor? They start joking about maybe he swam over to get mm. to where he is, because there is a border that has been enforced, and it should be closed by now, because of the time of night it is, or, you know, and he looks like a worker, that is in the wrong side of the border for right now. I mean, this is not there for no reason. That <laughs> the writers know what they're doing. <laughs> you know. Mm. Um and and um Diego Luna is a is a producer on this show. They they know exactly what they're doing. The the fact that the, the show the inciting incident of this show is a Mexican man being harassed by by cops for being on the wrong side of of a border, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so perfect and pointed, you know. But when the empire is is established, it is very much a an in-group and an out-group and you'll notice that it's very much a human in-group alien out-group. Who are the big Imperial supporters? They are almost all humans. Mm. Where are the weird, dirty planets? Where's the hive of scum and villainy? it's the place where you find all the various aliens.
0: I mean, we have drawn, but that's a different story for a different day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't find
2: but in aliens general, yeah.
1: in the, you know, there are always collaborators in a fascist system. There are always ones that think, you know, I I'll be the one they make the exception for.
0: I mean, we see um, that in, in 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 the real world. I mean, you know, we're seeing. You know, oh, they don't like marginalized group here, but they'll make the exception for me because I'm saying what they want me to say. Yeah. But and in the end, they're going to be nope. You are still the other. It doesn't matter what you say. You look like this. You believe this. You love this. Therefore, you are now. You are. We're going to group you with the others and take you out too.
1: Yeah, but what? What Cyril comes to, or he doesn't come to learn it, but what he he should learn, and what we see over and over again, um, and mostly through Andor's eyes, um, and the eyes of the people on Ferrix, is that as fascism gains a foothold, what it has to do is it has to create a smaller and smaller in-group because as you purge the out-group and people learn that things aren't getting better, you have to come up with a new scapegoat, you know? So as the Empire goes, well, it's all the fault of that, you know, the Wookiees or whatever. And you go like, well, we got rid of all the Wookiees. What now? Well, it's all the fault of the Huts. Well, we got rid of all the huts. What now? Well, it's all the fault of the uh I I don't know um uh Naboo uh we blew up Naboo uh well it's all the fault fault of Alderaan well we blew up Alderaan uh well it's all the fault of you know it's like eventually I mean that's kind of where
0: that's where it all starts with the Trade Federation it's all the Trade Federation's fault well we got rid of the Trade Federation Oh, it's the, the, the Senate's fault. we got to disband the Senate. Well, we've disbanded the Senate. Now what? Oh, it's this, it's that, it's the others. It's, it's the
1: Jedi. Well, the Jedi are gone. Um, It's the, yeah. And so eventually it becomes like, well, it's the rebels. Yeah, but we got rid of the rebels. No, we haven't. They're hiding everywhere. Your neighbor could be a rebel. You know, and then it just becomes like, as we discover in the show, well, you were walking too quickly on a beach. Now you're in prison. Yeah, that's how it works. You know that ha- that's how it works to keep people in line. So it doesn't matter how much Cyril Carn works and toes the line and you know he has that moment of breakdown in front of Daedra where he screams, you know, I was the best at my job. I'm I'm the good little soldier boy. I'm I'm the best investigator. And she's like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares.
0: You know, everyone, and that's something that he's get gets told by everyone he works with, his super his his supervisor. Yeah, no one cares that these two guys got shot. His mother says, "Well, no one cares about that. All your accomplishments mean nothing." His own mother, mind you. And then Deirdre says, "Yeah, well, no one cares about what you did. You're not you're not special." And when you tell someone who's been told their whole life, "I'm special," No, you're not. All your accomplishments, they mean nothing. He doesn't know how to handle that. You know, he becomes a cog in the machine and he hates it. I'm destined for great things. You know, his, you know, he loses his job as a cop. Oh, now you're an office worker. You're a drone working in a cubicle. Well, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be special. I'm supposed to be fighting the good fight. I'm the good guy. I'm the hero of this story.
1: And I think that that is what is possibly the best subversion of the show is that Cyril Karn is the believer in the great man theory. He's the believer in all of the Joseph Campbell Stuff that Star Wars was built on. And the chosen one Yeah, yeah. he believes in the chosen one idea. He believes in the hero's journey, and he believes he's the hero. He believes in the call to adventure, and he thinks that these two cops getting killed are is his call to adventure.
0: He thinks that even when
2: Deirdre even when is
0: he, the princess, you know? Yeah, even when he saves he saves Deirdre, beautiful, uh, the way it's shot is the same shot that you would see in these kind of movies where the couple kiss, and you can see her just completely frightened. Like, no, this is not happening. And yeah, the look- she
1: is so disgusted and she wants to she wants to vomit like right at the end because she can see he wants to kiss her. And she even says, I suppose I should thank you. Because that is the thing
0: she should do. He did save her life. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, but he did save her life, but he's also her stalker.
1: Yeah, and she's like, well, technically, I guess I should thank you because I'm not dead, but at the same time, like, you know... Get
0: the hell away uh, from
1: me. (laughs) uh, You're touching me, and I do not like that because you are a creepy weirdo, and you have been stalking me outside my place of work, and that is absolutely not allowed. And, oh, you know.
0: So, Uh, let's take this moment to actually... Pivot towards Deirdre, played by the amazing Denise Goff. Where does it go? Uh, I'm not sure. (laughs) But her story is like you want to root for her because she is, you know, we cannot listen to you for you are woman and we are not going to give you the time of day. So you want to root for her because she is a woman in a field dominated by men. But at the same time, she is also all in on the empire, go fascism, rah rah rah, and she ends up being like the main villain of the of of the of season one.
1: It doesn't matter if you're a girl boss, sweetie, you're still a fascist. <laughs>
2: like, yeah. You know,
1: it's like <laughs> we don't care. You're still evil. It's the the problem there of. You are, you know, she is also not the hero, but she also knows she's not the hero. Unlike Cyril, who thinks that... Cyril thinks he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. That's the part he thinks he's playing. He thinks that, you know, that this is... This is his great, you know, thing, you know. But... She she kind of knows where she is in the story. Like is she when she's there to to torture Bix
0: eventually and everything. She's like with the sound of screaming children. Granted, yeah. thank you for not playing that in the show and keeping it straight to the headphones TV show. But well, I think
1: that that is one of the most brilliant things ever is you're kind of told vaguely what it is that it is the the screams of dying children of some alien race that have some kind of psychic sonic something and that it does something to a brain that they're not Sure. And this being Star Wars, you kind of figure that it probably has something to do with the Force or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they never say that outright. They never it, say exactly what's going on. And it might I think
0: be, it's it, brilliant. It might be the
1: holotapes of uh, Anakin's babysitting job. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But... It's basically the aftermath of a genocide because that—that's what they say. They were like, "Oh yeah, as we were cleaning out this, this thing, you know, this planet, uh, we were just taking records for posterity, and when we were playing them back, we noticed that it did things to people."
0: I mean, that's um, what, I mean. You mentioned Jedi. Like, it might just be the recording the audio recording of Anakin in the Jedi Temple. It might be.
1: Well, mm. no. They specifically say um that it was a specific planet and stuff. I mean, they, they give, they, they also they give more specifics.
0: They also lie. Yeah. So, you know, moving on.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, is that there is kind of a real-world basis for this because there is a torture technique that has been done to people where they have kind of played awful things like this, you know, mm-hmm. of, of horrific violence being done to people as a torture technique. So there there is kind of a basis to this. And the thing is, is that if you if you tried to replicate that. I think whatever you came up with of like, oh, make me the audio screams of dying alien children or something. I think whatever you come up with is going to be weird and go- goofy in a in a way. And so I'm glad they kind of didn't do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But bravo to um, Bix's Actress uh, Adria Arona,
0: who um... yeah, you don't hear I, anything, but you see that her face starts twitching, tears start foaming in her in her eyes, and then she just lets out this blood curdling scream.
1: And you also see her later when when Andor comes to rescue her, you know,
0: completely um, broken. And
1: she yeah. is yeah, she is not the same person. But you know, I. I had I had run into her before because she's in the Good Omens TV series as anathema device, uh, which is one of the main characters. Uh, so uh, seeing her on this is a completely different character. When those two characters meet, you know, and you've got Daedra and and Bix up against each other, and Daedra is just like. Yeah, I I know. I know I'm evil. I, I know exactly what I'm doing. Any of that minor goodwill from seeing her be kind of crapped on by her, <laughs> her bosses in the Empire, you're just like yeah, no, no, no empathy anymore. Because even if you want to be like, well, you know, she's just trying to you know, hold her own and in, in a system that's not built it's like no she she knows exactly what she's doing,
0: she knows um, who she is, she knows what she's doing, she knows what she's fighting, what side she's fighting on, and she's completely okay with that,
1: yeah, and her objection to Cyril and his attentions is not that he's an Evil little dweeb. It's that he's beneath her on the the ladder. You know, it's like he's a loser. Yeah, Zero you, ha- is you a haven't loser. made it to my level. You know, up your evil game, dude. It, and is, like, is kind of where she's at.
0: Like if you know, we know we are we are getting a season two. That's kind of where I want to see his character go. I want to see how e- how committed to being evil he is. For the sole purpose of, I mean, yes, having this loser guy try to be as evil as possible to get the girl is hilarious and shows how pathetic the character can be. No, I don't,
1: because here's here's what Cyril is, is to me, and this is why I, I liked the portrayal of Cyril. I mean, you you can't like the character of Cyril, of course, and nor should you. And if you find yourself liking the character of Cyril, please go seek therapy. But what I thought Andor excelled at, and everyone who has done a serious review that's not just like Andor isn't what I wanted in Star Wars. Everyone who's actually done a a true you know engagement with this series has brought up the exact same thing which is the banality of evil which is of course the phrase that was made so famous from Hannah Arendt when she went to the trial of Adolf Eichmann who was one of the people who was an architect of the Holocaust and she, she went to his, his trial and she looked at him expecting to find this horrific, evil, you know, psychopath. And what she found was the most boring bureaucrat you could ever find. He was not a man who hated Jewish people. He was not, he was just a a pencil pusher who was doing his job and trying to get a promotion. And she looked at this absolutely boring man and realized that that's what evil needs is just the most boring people to just keep doing their job and we see it over and over and over again in Andor and the first time we see it is Cyril he is the most boring man in the world he is a guy who gets up every morning and eats his cereal and blue milk and gets hounded by his annoying mother and puts on his suit, and he goes to the office, and he pushes a button, and he wants to, you know, tick all the boxes on his checklist, and he kind of perves on the girl that walks by him in the office, who doesn't want anything to do with him, and he thinks that he's owed everything because I'm a nice
0: guy! We, we haven't mentioned, but uh, Kyle Soller plays him amazingly well. And yeah, but he is the most boring guy in the world who believes that he is the main character of the story. And we see it in, in, in real life, you, you mentioned it, mostly online, people who just say the most boring, basic stuff. But they think it's profound knowledge that they're the first person to ever think about this thing. It's like, no, you're like the 12th person in the last hour who posted this factually wrong BS statement. But you believe that it's true. You believe it's real. You believe that you are the special one, that you're the main character of the story, and that everything should revolve around you. That's Cyril.
1: Yeah. and. Cyril is by far not the only one. I mean, the judge that sentences Andor Mm -hmm. is just another bureaucrat. I mean, barely looks at at Andor as they're doing it, you know? It's just like, oh, wait, the sentences have gone up again. Oh, that's, that's annoying. Oh, well, you know, stamp, stamp, stamp. Six years.
0: And I love the fact that the guy they're looking for, they already have in prison.
1: Yeah. But the thing is, is that we know in very short order, as the prison storyline progresses, is that that six-year sentence is actually a death sentence because of the way that that prison is set up to work. And so that judge... Is just sentencing random people to death because well that's the, the the paper says if they come in and they have this, you have to do this and the check mark for this and the, the all right, take the box, take the box, take the box
0: You know? And he you know and again and- Cassian was in the wrong place at the wrong time, arrested for a crime. Of all the things he's done so far in the series, from theft to murder, he gets arrested and sentenced for a crime he didn't commit. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: And the real thing that he's pulled aside for is just moving too
0: quickly near a cop. A person of color being arrested for a BS reason never happens yeah whatever happens in the real
1: world <laughs> and and the thing is is also that cop, not particularly evil, just probably got told by the supervisor, you know it's like a sand trooper or whatever you know it's like but basically just acting as a cop that day it, it was just told by the supervisor like. Well, it, you know, everybody here is on vacation, so nobody's going to be running. So if you see somebody running, they're obviously up to something. Take them in for processing.
0: And it's a K2 unit that gets him. Um, yeah. It's, granted, it, we don't know if this is K2SO, but it's the same model, obviously. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, mwah, perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Not voice but- for Alan Tudyk, though. Which no, that would have been that would have been a little too on the nose.
1: The thing is, though, is that every single guard in the prison, they kind of have a small idea of what's going on, but they're just checking boxes and doing you know. Mm-hmm. Basically, the day that we're recording this, the news broke that. A woman in her 90s has just been sentenced for her part in a, in a concentration camp. She was a secretary at a concentration camp, and she has just been sentenced for war crimes. And yeah, you can say that all she did was, you know, write names on a list and check boxes and stuff but the point is she was there she had an idea of what was going on and she was sentenced in juvenile court because she was a teenager at the time and she had just been hired to you know for stenography basically she was just writing you know notes on paper but she was there and she was part of it And she's in her 90s now. And every single person you see. That's what they're working on the side of the Empire. No matter how small a part they're playing. They are. They are guilty. You know. Mm -hmm. Because that is what we. Decided. And that is eventually what. Probably, I mean, we, we don't, I don't think we've covered it fully in the, the canon of Star Wars of what happened in the, the new Republic, but it's probably kind of what, what happened in the new Republic as well is that, you know, there has to come a point where just doing your job is not an excuse.
2: Yeah, you know? I mean
0: I mean I mean we saw that out of after World War II I mean you mentioned it a lot so, so many people said, well they were just following orders just following orders isn't an, an excuse
1: And that's why this is the first Star Wars project to actually show the impact of deaths It's been usual in Star Wars up until now that kind of when a laser blast hits a stormtrooper or whatever, like they kind of fall off screen and we just, we never really see that. But when you get to things like the prison episodes and you have the prisoners making their escape and you have the prison guards fall, The camera lingers on the bodies of both the prisoners and the prison guards. You feel the impact of there are losses on both sides. But the only side that you are meant to feel empathy for in the loss is the prisoners. Because the prison guards, whether or not they're just doing their jobs, are on the side of the murderers. Because as we see, the people in the prison, while they may have committed a crime, we're being led to believe that probably a lot of them are like Andor. That if they committed a crime at all, it's either a trumped up charge or just no real crime. Um, Andy Circus, who is the standout in that that prison uh, episode arc, that
0: that speech he gives with the one way
1: out, one way out, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, give him all of the shiny gold trophies for just that. You know, Um, Andy Circus has been in Star Wars before but this is going to be the thing he's remembered for in Star Wars
0: and it's so heartbreaking when you see it there's freedom freedom is right there with the prison break and you hear him say I can't swim
1: yeah but they uh, they asked Andy Serkis in some interviews um, what do you think uh, Kino ended up in prison for and he said, "Well, it's never in the script. Um, Kino is just a guy in the prison in the script." And he said that he talked it over with Tony Gilroy, and Tony Gilroy allowed him to kind of come up with a backstory. And according to Andy Circus, Kino Loy was put in prison. For trying to unionize his workplace. And the Empire didn't like it.
0: It explains how he kind of falls into that kind of a supervisor role among the other prisoners.
1: Yeah, and that, that he probably was just doing the job he did on the outside, on the inside, and that he fully believed because you are led to believe in that prison storyline that Kino is is the bad guy. He's the one that Andor is going to have to take down in order to escape.
0: Because he fully believes in in the prison system. You know, I'm only have a few more shifts to go, and I'm going home. All and, these people and the realization. But, go ahead. I'm I'm it, going ahead of you. I'm sorry.
1: Oh no, but but I I I, th- I see where you're going and you're right. I mean that moment when you know the the other prisoner, um, whose whose name escapes me, but the older dude, when they when, when they he dies. Uh, euthanize him. No, I mean he doesn't die. They they kill him outright.
0: Well he, he has um, a stroke, they don't have the equipment to to help him, so the best they can do at least that's what they say. And the best they can do is just make his death as painless as possible.
1: Yeah, so they they euthanize him instead of giving him and the other prisoner tells him like I'm not a doctor. I I administer euthanizing drugs. That's that's what we do. If you have a if you have a, some kind of medical problem here, they just euthanize you and dispose of your body
0: because yeah. You're no longer worth anything. You're you're yeah. you're worth it's done.
1: Uh interestingly, there is a fan theory that the feeding tubes are a soylent green situation.
2: Ugh. I, I yeah,
0: taking, yeah, that taking, that taking the bodies of these dead prisoners and reusing them.
1: Yep, that is that is a that is a very heavily believed fan theory.
0: I'd buy that... it even if that was not the intent, uh, I could see, I, I could see the, I can see him adopting it. Like, yeah, sure. That sounds believable.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it, it may not be, I mean, they are in the middle of, of an ocean, so it's, it, it could just be like seaweed of some sort, you know, or, or something being processed through it. But, um, it, it is, it is one of the, the nastier, <laughs> ideas. But, but and then they they f- find out that when they heard about the quote unquote depopulation of one of the other floors, that it was because one of the guys got released supposedly and then cycled back to the exact same floor he was on instead of moved to another floor.
2: I and think it gave I up think-
1: the
0: game. I think the point is when the, when the prison he was supposed to go to a completely different prison and then they screwed up and sent him back to the same prison he was just released from
1: the thing is the prison is so big i my understanding of it was that he was supposed to be cycled to a different floor and instead he uh he just got because the thing is, if they sent him to a different prison, they'd have to re retrain him. But um,
0: doesn't really matter because all they need uh, are disposable. I mean, uh, yeah, we we've talked about. I mean, it's it's a thing in in American prison system. Cheap labor, yeah. free labor. In some cases, these prisoners are not are not getting paid for their work. Yeah, you know, uh, so it doesn't really matter what prison he is or what he's doing they just need someone to be on the line and it you know they'll train them for a day and they'll do the thing and the the another kicker is that they're making death star parts in this prison how did andor die yeah yeah I, the, that's, that's another moment right there yeah
1: and the the thing is though is that The entire point of of Andor, and I, I love it, the entire point of this first season is over and over again seeing characters talk about that the only moral stance is to fight the Empire. Whether or not the fight is winnable whether or not the fight is dangerous for you personally, whether or not the fight will eventually lead to your own death, whether or not you will live to benefit from the fight. Over and over and over again, every single character that we are supposed to like and empathize with on each any level is somehow they embody that same idea. Kino is one of the best examples because from the moment he has that epiphany that this is a death sentence and no one is getting out, and he turns to andor and says i you know that that there there are never more than 12 you know and you've got that that moment of realization that like okay he's on he's on our side now
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he makes that change he knows that there is one way out And he knows that way out is to swim. And he knows he can't swim. So from that moment, the prison break is not on his behalf. He's doing it to get other people
0: out. Yeah, and part of me wants to know what happens but maybe they should keep one of this one of the answers one of the unanswered questions of Star Wars because either he jumps and drowns or he stays there once they get all the systems reset and he's he's stuck in there for the rest of his life so Do I you- I don't want them to answer that question of what happens
1: I mean there. you kind of want to see Andy Circus again because it's Andy Circus. Yeah, but I, but, but I I agree with you that it's it's probably best unanswered. But at the same time, what a what a potential waste of Andy Serkis to never see him again in that part.
0: I mean, you know, he 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 ends up getting captured by the Empire and becomes a clone body for Palpatine and becomes Snoke.
1: Uh, that is what a lot of people think, but I I really don't don't think so. <laughs> You know the the other big one, of course, is Luthen, who is one of the big things that starts it off. Uh, and of course, Stellan Skarsgård, amazing in
0: that. We've talked about him a lot. As we said, um, this is this is the reason why he's only a minor cameo in Thor.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, which is fine. Mm. Uh, this was the better choice of of the two options, but you know. We see him do that foppish character of the, like, oh, look at me, I'm the antiques dealer. Ha ha ha, I have to travel off world a lot to go look for antiques. But really, you know, we we see what, what he is. The double
0: agent. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, you, uh... Kind of, you know, Kiki sent me a video about of, uh, of kind of an essay on the sh- on the story. And he's kind of referred to as Batman.
1: Bruce Wayne, playboy on the
0: outside.
1: And then he's got that double life.
0: You, Where he, know. you know, you see, the real Luthen is is the guy fighting on the side of of the uh, of the rebellion. But he asked you play the part of the flamboyant antique salesman selling antiques to the senators and all the rich people and the empire to fund the rebellion.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Jesse Gender for that uh, that really excellent uh, and or essay, by the way. Go watch it, it on YouTube.
0: It's two hours, but it's worth it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's excellent. She does excellent work. All of her videos are gold. But the uh, the thing is, though, is that um, he has, you know, there are three speeches that make Andor just excellent. And of course, Eddie Circus gets one. Stellan Skarsgård gets number two as Luthen, which is that what the rebellion needs is for people to be so all in that they will be working for a sunrise they will never see. And that is really the point of any grassroots movement. And there, there are lots of, of great quotes like that, you know, the, the, the future, comes when a man will plant a tree he will never stand in the shade of and things like that you know th- th- there are, there are lots of quotes like that throughout history luther talks about sacrificing everything in his life for the the rebellion and living this secret existence in order to Build from the ground up these contacts and these networks and allies all these allies and stuff and we see the beginnings of it with Mon Mothma which Genevieve O'Reilly finally after all these years gets to properly portray
0: Um, not not just a cameo in, in one movie
1: well I mean the thing is is that she Got her first chance all the way back in episode three, and it was cut, and and George Lucas cut her out. Um, so she was supposed to be Mon Mothma all the way back in like two thousand and five, um, and then they brought her back. Um, I mean, they they put her scenes back in for like the the DVD or something, you know, where it was like, oh, here's some d- deleted scenes, so you kind of could see her. But then they brought her back, you know, when they needed Mon Mothma for Rogue One, they were like, well, let's let's get her to do that. Um, but it was really just relatively quick.
0: Um,
1: and, she's and then done Mon
0: Mothma for some of the animated stuff as well. Yeah. But- then-
1: then they brought her in to, to to voice that. But finally she really gets to do the character in this series, and it's brilliant. And we see her being able to go from I was a senator and now I have to be a a rebel. You know, I have to start thinking. Along those lines, she and,
0: also goes through the double life because she has to keep up appearances as a senator while also funding the 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 Rebel Alliance. Well, it's not even the Rebel s- Alliance yet. I, uh, it's it's still in in its infancy. It's not even an an alliance yet. It's just a couple
1: of people doing some stuff occasionally. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, Luthen is trying. He's trying to get all these small rebel cells together into uh, into the alliance. I mean, we get the cameo from Forrest Whitaker, replacing his character from from
1: back from Rogue One,
0: (laughs) and this is the start of it. It's like you know, I can't trust this other cell because their political beliefs are this, and my political beliefs are this. Yeah, we'll work together, but we can't work together afterwards because they want this that other cell wants this i want this and those three ideas do not come together
1: yeah the thing is is that when you are fighting a large imperial force and we've seen that in history in the real world you know with with large imperial forces when people were fighting, you know, the British Empire or, you know, other large imperial movements, there were frequently very small partisan militias and freedom fighting groups that had extremely different political ideologies over what they wanted to do once the empire was gone, and they would often kind of set aside that idea and go like, you know what, we'll fight with each other once the Imperial force is gone. (laughs) But for now, can we get together and create a large enough military alliance to fight the Imperials? Um, And that's what Luthen is trying to do. He's like, look, you've you've got different political ideologies. That's fine, but you're not going to have enough chance to enact those political ideologies if we don't get rid of the empire first. For right now, can we take a enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of approach to this, get rid of the big guy, and then maybe we can sit down at a table and talk about, you know.
0: I mean, and we kind of saw the outcome of that because it led to the rise of the First Order. But that's a different story for a different day.
1: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, uh, these things are, you know, not always clear-cut. But the thing is, is that, you know, going back to Mon Mothma, because I wasn't done with what I wanted to say about her, is that we see that with Mon Mothma, because it is so... Early in the days of the Empire.
0: You know, we're five years away from Luke destroying the Death Star.
1: This is the other interesting thing about Andor as a series, is this is the first time that we get the official kind of fan the fan timestamp system.
2: The BBY
1: scream. Yeah. yeah. So we get 5 BBY flashed up on screen, and I think that is the first time we've ever seen that done in an official canon sense. If fans have been doing it for ages, time stamping things as, you know, before the Battle of Yavin or after the Battle of Yavin or, you know, whatever to show
0: where we are in the timeline, but. I mean, all we, I mean, it's, if you're going to use a timescale, the first ever Star Wars movie is a nice place to put it.
1: But for the, for that to be, you know, used on screen, we still don't know what they use in, internally, really. To, maybe
0: it's best we don't.
1: <laughs> to tell time, yeah, yeah. but. Um,
0: but yeah, we're, we're five years away from, the, from Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star. Yeah. That gives you a general idea of where we're at,
1: and it's so you know we're we're not that far into the empire having power. Mon Mothma, as a senator, is has finally become disillusioned with the empire, with Emperor Palpatine, and has somehow gotten involved with Luthan and with his rebellion.
0: She's also somehow still has some level of faith in the system but also knows that she also needs to work outside of it.
1: Well, she knows that she still has power and influence which is a thing. I don't think she has any faith in the system anymore. I think she knows that she has connections.
0: I mean, we even by see her, her keeping up appearances, but she still. I mean, we, we even see her try to gain some allies to not very good results. It doesn't go as well for her as it goes for Luthen.
1: Yeah, but the the thing that we see is that as this is her first dipping of her her toe into it. She is not good at this at all. Uh, she has not been good at hiding that her money is disappearing.
0: To the point where she has to start throwing her family under the bus for it. She starts this story of her husband having a gambling addiction, which explains why her money's been disappearing. And her husband's like, what What are you talking about? What gambling problem?
2: Oh, well, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah
0: is- you're on can. We get a reference to Canto Bite.
1: Yeah, that is one of the the few kind of. I I don't want to call it fan servicey things because simply referencing that other places exist, I'm not sure is technically fan service, but. Um,
0: fan service to the movie most most of the fandom hates.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, the thing is, is I think that he does have a a gambling habit. I just don't think he's lost the the money. She says he's lost, of
0: course. Um, but, she's, but she's still throwing him under the bus because she kind of has to. She oh yeah, put it, she, that, she's, that part is a lie. She is putting everything her own family at risk because, you know, like Luthen said, you have to be all in.
1: The most interesting thing that I see about her. Family and I, I like that they've kept this in there because it's not just part of how she helps the rebels, you know, but it it's also kind of once again a statement on the political situation. Is that we have uh, Monmouthma's daughter?
0: Yeah, um, Mon Mothra's daughter, who has become sort of disillusioned with her mother. As Mon Mothra further goes into keeping up appearances of her political career and also keeping the secrets of her working with the rebels, her daughter falls into religious cultum as a way of rebelling against her mother.
1: But it's it's not just that. It's that one of the things that Mon Mothma has realized as she's become disillusioned with the Empire is, of course, how the traditions of her own planet have harmed her. One of those being this kind of, you know, arranged marriage of young teens. Uh, and how her own marriage has been kind of a failure, but one of the things that fascism teaches is that like, oh, you know, the, the tradition, the traditional is the best, you know, and in her desire to keep up appearances, she has to pretend to be all in on the empire. And all in on her culture. So when she's hosting these parties for all these Imperials, she has to pretend to be like, oh no, this is my cultural food and this is my, you know, let me bring you in and show you all of my traditional, you know, clothing of my planet and, you know, all this kind of stuff, which we know secretly she doesn't like. She doesn't like the traditions of her own planet. And she she wants to, to be more progressive,
0: and this is a conversation a conversation she has with her sister, who is also a double agent. Yeah,
1: her her cousin or whatever uh, whatever cousin. their Val, I think is her name. Yeah, uh, who is the the rebel that Andor works with when he has to go do that awesome heist plot, which is one of the best heist. Stories that has been put on screen in ages. So if you like a good heist movie, here's your heist movie for you. The thing that she and Bell talk about is that they both want a more progressive stance for their planet, um, Chandrilla. They don't want her daughter to be pushed into a prearranged marriage, they want her to, you know, have free choice, they want her to you know. But she's already learning the like traditional, you know, chants and the, the, you know, whatever it is she's doing with this group of girls and this very creepy little, you know, thing she's doing. It is very cult like. It's, it's, there's, there's something like weird and religious y and, you know, it, it, like, uh, we don't know what's going on, but it, it doesn't have a, a good vibe to it. And Val is creeped out by it. And she's like, you can't be pushing your daughter to do that. She's like, I'm not, she wants to do it, you know? And we get the feeling that. Mon Mothma's husband is like really into it. And he's like, you know,
0: oh yay, look at her. She's doing all the things we did as we were kids. And you know, yeah. Cause the husband is still into the old way. He's still into the, while Mom Matha is very progressive in her views, her husband doesn't seem to be as much.
1: We find out that because she has to, to hide all this money and figure out a way to keep the Imperial tax collectors off her backs and and also just appear to be exactly as shady as all the other Imperial Senators because there is a certain level of grift and underhandedness that you are expected to have as an Imperial Senator.
0: Um, I mean, we've seen that in in the prequels and I mean, that was was kind of one of the reasons why Padme was trying to, they were trying to assassinate Padme.
1: Yeah. Is that she was kind of on the up and up and wouldn't, wouldn't uh, take the bribes and everything, you know? So, You know, Mon is kind of expected to be in bed with certain kind of underworld people and everything. But those connections come at a price. And the price for her particular connections is an arranged marriage between her daughter and this underworld boss's son. I really hope that in season two we see more of the banker who's helping Mon Mosma, mm. because he's played by Ben Miles, who I absolutely adore. Him and Mon Mosma have such good chemistry, and I really want them to like be a couple. <laughs> I want her to like, you know, throw her husband under the bus because he's kind of a tool, and he seems to be all in on the empire, and I kind of want. Momatma and Ben Maz's character to just to be like, you know, run away together and <laughs> to, to have rebel adventures. You know, you you feel really bad for her because it is costing her 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 family, but at the same time, that is the point of this series, is that not only will fascism take everything from you if you go all in on it. Because we see what it's taking from the people who are following it. Mm-hmm. You know? The people who are who are all in on the empire are not happy people. Yeah. I mean, do 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 Cyril or Daedra look happy to you?
0: They'll they are not te-
1: leaving fun lives, you know?
0: They'll tell you they're happy, but they're when when the doors are closed and they're looking in the mirror, they're not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love that. While the show, like all Star Wars, I mean, the Empire looks so slick. You know, Imperial uniforms look so slick. And they're so, you know, everything the Empire has is so shiny and chrome. And,
0: you and, know, and, like- and, that is, and that is why so many people like the Empire, uh, fans like the Empire, because they have the shiny toys. Oh yeah, the aesthetic is great, you know?
1: The point of the series is that the only ethical position for any of these characters is to be on the side that says I do not care what it costs me. Every breath in my body has to be a statement of I will fight this.
0: And Mon Motha tries... In the Senate, he tries it the bureaucratic way by trying to say, saying, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't let the Empire have this much power. Maybe we should reel them back a bit." And then, what? Every other senator turns their lights off. They're not even listening to a word she says. And that is, and you could see how much like she's trying to get her words out, and they're saying, "We're not listening to you." She and tried. she
1: talks about you want to talk about, like, kind of really obscure fan service, and again, it's not very fan service-y, because not many fans actually know about it. The thing she talks about in her speech is a nod to, like, one of the video games, I think. I'm having trouble remembering exactly where this comes from, because I, I did I did have it in my my brain, and now I'm forgetting, but Her speech is a nod to, I believe, one of the video games where it's a genocide that is mentioned briefly where the Empire ends up completely wiping out the entire population of that planet she's talking about. Mm. And it's like... An extremely obscure thing that's mentioned in like one piece of Star Wars media that like nobody really remembers. But the point is, is that the thing she is talking about is, if you look into the backstory of it, absolutely horrific. And they're not, you know? Mm-hmm. And Andor mentions. The genocide of multiple people's and or species over the course of this one season, including Andor's own planet.
0: This is a nice uh, segue. <laughs> because uh, I did want to get to talk to you about this one other character. But uh, so, yeah, we find Cassian Andor's or Kessa, as he was known then. Uh, his poem world, which was destroyed not not by the Empire, because this is before the Empire. This would be the Republic.
1: A reminder to everybody that the Republic wasn't, like, a perfect system either. Mm-hmm. The Republic was a system that still allowed, like, slavery in the galaxy. It still, allowed, you know, it was a colonial system for lack of a better term you know it
0: was proto-imperial and this is stuff again going into the expanded universe that Anakin sees whether you're talking about the, the novels or the Clone Wars TV show that gets him disillusioned with the Republic and siding with the Empire so here is Cassian Kassa as he was then uh, who his entire world, his entire people is essentially wiped out by by the people that were taken out by the empire, and so it's like now you want this guy to join the resistance against the empire to go back to that you know he sees his family destroyed he's you know the the first part of this show is him trying to find his sister. And we're never told what happens to his sister. His sister could be out there. His sister could be dead. Again, that's one of the questions I kind of hope is not answered, but yeah. I mean, he
1: might find her along the way in, you know, that they're supposed to be, I think they've ordered three seasons of this before we get to the events of Rogue One.
0: Well they did say there they originally wanted to do a five season thing, each one being a year, and then they cut that down to three, and I think they've cut that back down to two.
1: I but hope we we'll get three. I think it's good enough for three, but we'll we'll see. The thing is, is that we see that they're they're on a planet where the Republic has sent out a a mining ship or a mining, you know, a colony of some sort. And something has gone wrong. It seems to be some sort of like, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like a Chernobyl situation or something. And it seems to have kind of poisoned the area and Something is going on. It's causing ships to fall out of the sky. Uh, We're not exactly entirely certain what's going on, but his tribe, in attempting to defend themselves, gets into a fight with the, the miners that are down there. Some of them are killed and he's one of the braver ones that goes inside of one of the crashed ships and he comes across Marva, who is there to salvage,
0: <laughs> uh, probably illegally. <laughs> Played by the amazing Fiona Shaw. who really Yeah, F- Fiona Shaw,
1: who is just, oh my goodness. Anytime she shows up in something, it's another one of those. We talk about those actors sometimes that you're like, when they show up, you know you're going to have a good time. And Fiona Shaw is one of those for me. But- and I, I,
0: I do like that they have Kes, uh, Kess's people, his tribe. They don't speak uh, what would be considered in the Star Wars world basic, or English for Earthlings, which explains his accent.
1: Yeah, and it is, that's the thing, is that when Rogue One came out, there was a lot of why did they cast somebody with such a heavily accented, who spoke with such heavily accented English in as a major character in a Star Wars film? Uh, but there were a lot of people Who absolutely loved that because they finally had representation in a Star Wars film. Yeah. Having that as a, you know, there are humans who do not speak galactic basic with just quote unquote American or British accent. Like there's more than just two accents in the Star Wars universe.
0: Space Britain. It,
1: yeah, is is great, you know? I mean I I like that variety and I would like to see more of it, please. Can we have more variety in Star Wars? You're dealing with an entire galaxy. Can we please Let's, have more than Space America and Space
0: Britain? I mean Lucas tried with space China and we got some heavily uh, racially insensitive accents. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know, I would, you know, and of course, you know, Stellan Skarsgård's in in this here, so we've got Space Sweden Malbut, but, <laughs> 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 but uh, which I, which I am also cool with. But um, when we're doing sci-fi, can we, even if it's an allegory for things, can we please? have the wider range of humanity. I-, I can deal with an accent. Thank you. I I, I think most people can. A-, a lot of people deal with it every day. You
0: know? I mean, that's part of the fandom menaces thing is that this person has an accent. Or, you know, the fact that there are Black people and Asian people and Latino people in space. But that's a dis- discussion for a different day. <laughs> yeah. But let's get back to Marva. That's really one of what we're about. Yeah, the Marva
1: thing that that I like is that she immediately realizes that this is probably turning into another genocide. And this is a kid she can save.
0: Well, honey, we're adopting a kid.
1: Yeah, her husband is not terribly happy about it. <laughs>
0: Um, but... Whether you want one or not, congratulations, you're now a father.
1: Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because it's like, well, you know, this kid is here, and if we leave him here, he's going to die.
0: Um we can't save everyone, we can at least save this one.
1: Yeah. And it is very interesting and beautiful that first scene of Andor being taken into space of Cassian being taken into space I admit that when I watched it I cried <laughs> it was it was so lovely the way that she hides him there's a lot of parallels to be made of uh, adopted kids who are also undocumented the way that she kind of fakes records and tells people that he's her biological child that was born on a different planet and you know
0: had the different skin color,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean or or even, that he was adopted on a different planet, maybe. I mean, we're we're never quite sure what the the story is, but we do know that she tells people he was born on a different planet, and you know. But I do like the idea that he is from a planet that was destroyed by. A colonial mining project.
0: And now he lives on a planet of miners.
1: And uh, you know. That now he, he lives on a similar planet. But a planet that is very different. I mean. They live on a very collectivist planet. They live on a. Clo- in a close-knit community. They have very deeply held traditions, but not in a bad way, not in a fundamentalist way. You know, it is a very much a way to uphold the community. And we see when Cassian leaves his planet and goes to these other planets, how the Empire is systematically wiping out other similar groups. We see during the um, the Aldani plot,
0: the heist. Yeah,
1: the heist plot that the people of Aldani are being wiped out in this very slow motion genocide. They're not being violently murdered; they're being culturally murdered. They're being, you know, given alcohol and, you know, p- pleasure stops and you don't want to participate in your religious rituals. You want to stop here and go to the casino and you want to, you know.
0: colonite is trying to take an indigenous people's culture away from them. That never happens.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Especially not with alcohol and gambling. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's so on point. Some of these things, you might as well just flash a neon sign on screen.
0: Symbolism!
1: Yeah, it's like, you want somebody to pop out and be like, do you get the symbolism? Do you get it? But at the same time, it's so perfectly done that you can't hate on it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the people being there and them being like oh yeah we we rented this temple from them for like a you know an animal skin or whatever cuz you know they're like it, it, and you just want to be like Oh yeah, did you buy the island from him for a handful of beads too? Yeah, you want to put that in there, like <laughs> it's like you expect that to be the very next line, you know? I was
0: thinking it. I was. Thinking.
1: Yeah, it's like you. It's it's hard not to when you're watching it. Like you want to see like the you know the guy putting on his like ceremonial imperial clothing to be like yes these people who smell bad and sell things for trinkets ha. -ha." you know it's like oh but and then of course you get like the the thing about the the interpreter not interpreting things correctly you know (laughs) like (laughs) I loved that bit I, I love that they as they're making their escape they use that exact same culturally significant event it's the perfect cover to stick it to the empire you know yeah. it's like but of course what does the empire do immediately after they go like nobody can celebrate any culturally significant events they immediately go like, if anybody, if anybody on any planet has a has a cultural, you know, like no more life day celebrations, you know, it's <laughs> like you know that that's like the next thing coming coming through.
0: I mean, um, considering the time of year where we're recording this, War on Meteor Day. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, it's like, you know that that's going to be the next thing coming
1: through on the Holocron. It's like, is there a war on the eye celebration?
2: Like,
1: like, But it's, it's so spot on, and I love every bit of it because there's not a part of this that you can't kind of just directly lift and be like, well, if this isn't a real world allegory, you know? But The point that I love is that we said there are three speeches, you know, you got... Your Andy Circus speech, you got your Stellan Skarsgård speech, and then right there at the end of the season, you got Fiona Shaw to just finally bring it all together and be like, if you didn't get it by now, here's Fiona Shaw in a giant holographic projection
0: to spell it out for you in kindergarten speech. How many people get, get to give the eulogy at their own funeral?
1: Oh, man, don't you want to just, like, you know, record something now and be like, this is my Fiona Shaw speech for my own funeral now.
0: Fight the Empire.
1: Oh, fight the Empire. This speech, I want this thing played at, like, the end of every baseball game. At the end, like
0: I wanted to say, I mean, I mean, played uh, it like yeah, and uh, and you know, uh, the symbolism of her people, you know, when 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 their people die, their their remains or ashes are turned into a brick, and that's the brick that start. I mean, it, it's it's literal. I mean, it, the video you, you you show me, it's literal Stonewall. It starts with a brick, and it happens to be the brick with Marva's remains on it, and she wouldn't have had it any other way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when I die, throw my ashes in the face of a fascist. That's all I want. Like, just take my ashes and throw it in the nearest fascist face. That's, that's, that, that will be the best capper to my life.
0: I guarantee you. Like, like. Cassian gives her the option, like, come with me. We'll leave this planet. And she says, no, I, I can't leave. Where are we going to go? Because we
1: saw what happened to her husband. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest tragedies of the show is her husband, Clem, uh, who who we see in in flashbacks only, because by the time of the series he is already dead, was trying to stop some people from rioting, and was mistaken for being the guy who was causing the riot. A, a man of color being mistaken for doing some rioting. That you don't happened. say. Yeah. And
0: and for the fact that Marva is the one that actually technically it is Marva because it is her remains that starts the fight that starts the riot. <laughs> both in, you know, Marva starts to both with her speech of Fight the Empire and both with her literal remains being used as a brick. Yeah,
1: and the thing is, is that this is also the first and we have to talk about it in with Marva as well because she and Cassian live with a droid Uh, The greatest droid...
0: B2 Emo. The greatest droid name ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, B2 Emo. I don't know, I have a friend who
0: absolutely loathes that name. A depressed droid named B2 Emo. I would rather have B2 Emo than the droid named Leet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like B2 Emo, but, you know, like, you know, it's... Everything in this show is on the nose so I don't mind it. This is the reason I like B2 is that this is the first time and I'm I'm even counting baby Leia. This is the first time that a droid is really treated as a fully sentient creature in a star wars series
0: yeah it's something because we've seen droids treated like property even we've seen you know droids have sentience sentience in the star wars universe and they're still treated like property luke gives away his droids to jabba the Hutt. l337 fights for droid rights and her reward is to be the silent computer of the millennium falcon trapped forever
1: and that entire, that entire plot is a joke. It it is it is a punchline in in the movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It is like you know, uh, as she's going along, going like, "Well, can I have some civil rights?" And you can almost hear the soundtrack going like, "But um." You know, like ha ha, droid rights, Emma, right? You know, like the whole thing is there is a punchline, and it's like, okay, but why is it a punchline? Every single Star Wars movie has proven that droids are
2: sentient creatures. Every single one, so. How is this
1: not... I mean, this has been a going concern in the fandom since the
0: first Star Wars film. I mean... 3PL gets his mind wiped for really no reason. Twice!
1: Yeah, and it's always done as a a tongue-in-cheek thing. But this series... B2 is given you know, hey, B2, would you mind going home? Can you please, like, in a way, B2 is kind of treated as a child, because it does seem that that is maybe the the level of sentience there, that it may not have the the same, the programming may not be to, like, the level of of
0: three PO or or R two? Well, he's already what, a malfunctioning droid with his stutter.
1: Well, but that doesn't mean anything about like the intelligence of the unit. Um, and I don't know if
0: like, like B two just wants to go with Cassian. Like, yeah, uh, but I want to go but, on the adventure too. He is, really is like the little brother. Like I want to go on. Yeah. I want to go too. No, no, B two, you have to stay here. It's too dangerous.
1: <laughs> but but other than the fact that that b2 is kind of treated that that maybe he might have the intelligence of maybe a human child which we don't exactly know what the comprehension level of the unit is b2 empathetically and perhaps in rights no one ever kind of seems to say in the series like hey that's my property Or I'll trade you this droid or, you know, get your hands off. And even at the end when Marva dies, B2 is asked, would you like to be alone for a minute to grieve? Which is the first time anyone has really acknowledged that a droid might have a feeling of grief over the death of a human that they have been living with. Mm. And then and then that same person says, I will come back and stay with you so you will not be alone tonight. And it's not like, so nobody will steal you because you're a valuable piece of property. It's done as like a, hey, I know that a human in your position wouldn't want to be alone tonight because death is really hard. So, you know, if you want a minute to, like, collect yourself, I'll give you a bit, and then I'll come back tonight and stay with you so you won't be alone. And I was really struck by that during that episode. Yeah. Because I was like, this is the first time a droid is given equal emotional resonance as a sentient being to a human or an alien in that sense in a Star Wars project and I really liked it and even at the the end in the final episode where they're escaping the empire and setting up the second season B2 is given equal weight to the other humans that they're, you know, saving and getting off the planet and Andor's like, hey, B2, I need you to do this. And, you know, can you be part? And B2 is roped into the plans on an equal level to the biological beings that are there.
0: I mean, and to the point where you're feeling while he's playing the hologram and the one Imperial soldier is just knocking him over, you kind of wonder, is B2 going to be okay? Yeah, you're actually worried for B2's
1: safety in that scene on an equal level as the people. Because B2 has been given the same weight as a thinking, feeling being.
0: And I will say this. Star Wars has always been known as a very toyetic franchise. The that was kind of the whole point of Lucas wanting to keep the rights to Star Wars to begin with, because he knows this is a m- money making merchandise mover. Try merchandising,
1: merchandising, where the, the real, real money, money is of, yeah. Movies
0: made. Yeah, Andor is the least toyetic merchandise driven Star Wars project I have ever seen. You, you're not good. With the exception of B2, there are no... You know, you're not going to get the prison the prison Death Star Park collecting playset.
2: Uh, yeah, you-,
1: you, you don't look at that and go like, Oh, man, I can't wait to have Andor's lights. set... No, wait. Oh, wait, I can't wait to have Andor's cool car... No, wait... Oh, I can't wait to have, like... I mean, there's, like, a couple of things. Like, Luthen's ship is pretty awesome, because that comes out of nowhere.
0: And it's, an, it's again, it's our one and only spaceship dogfight of the entire series. Yeah, there is no space battle except for that
1: one thing where Luthen just out of nowhere is like, my spaceship got lightsabers, because I'm <laughs> Luthen the... antique dealer? <laughs> like... <laughs> It's like, I, t- that, that MC Chris song is weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how that jam goes, but, uh, no. Yeah. That, that one is just, that's the one space battle. There are, there are a few we're not gonna, blaster battles. We're not going to you know. get the
0: Lego set of Mara, of Marva's funeral. <laughs>
1: You know, I I want like a I want a B two that just plays Marvis speech on repeat. Like if if you could be like, what one thing from this series could you have? I want a B two that plays like Marvis speech on repeat. I want that to be my alarm clock. I want to wake up every day with Fiona Shaw being like, get up and fight the Empire. <laughs> You know what? Today's a good day for
0: kicking the empire's ass. <laughs> and, and 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 like I said, this is the least toyetic Star Wars project ever. Go back to any Star Wars, you know. Go back, not just the Disney era, but you know the Lucas era, because it's always been about let's sell toys, let's sell a lightsaber, let's sell a, a an Ewok plushie.
2: Let's and sell if it. you
1: think Disney bought Lucasfilm to not sell some
0: toys, I got I got something to tell you. Yeah, how many? How even in the parks? It's both of us who have recently visited the Disney parks this year. There's an entire land full of Star Wars merchandise.
1: <laughs> and, and you as- know what I was really sad about? That there was not more Star Wars merchandise for me to buy. <laughs> So I far- am not a proud person. <laughs> I would have bought more Star Wars merchandise had there been more Star Wars merchandise.
0: I say as I look at my Darksaber in the corner.
1: <laughs> I say as I'm waiting for my Life Day Wookiee to, to show up in the mail that I got a friend to buy me at Disneyland. Thank you, friend, who is sending me <laughs> to the Life Day Wookiee from Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am my, not a proud person. I've got a weird kitschy Life Day Wookiee coming for me.
0: <laughs> but my point is, like, 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 there is very little to nothing in this entire series that you can say they're going to make a toy out of that. And they will. I mean, you'll get your Cassian Andor action figure and your you'll get your Skarsgård action figure. You might even get a Fiona Shaw action figure, but they're not in... Spectacular costumes and stuff like that, but uh, but that's only because they make action figures of every character, even characters who have no lines in the background. Props to you, action figure of guy holding ice cream maker.
1: You know but, what? I, I will, I will, I will buy, I will buy an action figure of the dude who stands up in the tower and just beats on that anvil all day. <laughs>
0: cuz that that dude was awesome but the point my again my point is that yeah. they 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 did not go into this show with let's make toy let's make something that can be made into a toy yeah with the they went into female.
1: this show entirely for Fiona Shaw's speech <laughs> this show was built around those three speeches mm-hmm. and everything else was how do we support those three speeches this, this show is maybe not the Star Wars we wanted. It might not even be the Star Wars we deserved, but it is definitely the Star Wars we need. Because if there is one thing that we need to hear right now, it is we don't need a chosen one. Guys like Cyril Carn, who think they're the main character, who think that the great man theory is the thing, who think that they're owed stuff, who think that Joseph Campbell was right about everything, those guys suck. Those guys suck so hard. And all the, the fandom menace Losers, Y'all are Cyril Karn. Suck it. This entire series is, here's what it took for Luke Skywalker to be in that X-Wing, making that one shot. So yeah, I mean, props to Luke Skywalker. He's great. Love him. But look at all these planets full of people that needed to actually make the sacrifice play so that one little farm boy could hit a button and get all the glory Yeah, and that's the people you need to be praising and that's the people that we need to be like yeah whatever Luke's the lucky guy in the lucky place or whatever but Okay, not everybody can be him, but every single person, every single person can be Cassie and Andor. Every single person can be Marva. Turn me into a brick and hurl me at a stormtrooper. I beg you. I beg you.
0: I if, also- you
2: d-
1: if you don't do that when I am dead, I will haunt you.
0: I will also put one more thought in before we wrap this up, is that this also breaks from the extended movie feel of the other Star Wars shows. This does not feel like a 12-hour movie. This actually feels like a TV show. A TV show with three or four episode arcs, but still feels—this is the first one that feels like a TV show versus an extended movie. And I— love them for that.
1: Yeah, cuz I mean the the first 3 episodes are Andor t- talked into going on the Aldani mission. You and know, it's f- it's him killing the cops and to being like, eh, you know, and then him getting meeting Luthen and being talked into going on the Aldani, Aldani mission.
0: And the, then the and next- a, yeah If this was any of the other shows, the rest of the series would just be the Aldani mission.
1: Yeah. And then the next three episodes are the Aldani mission. And then the next three, uh, the next four episodes, because like the the episode seven is kind of just the the middle episode where he's like, hey, I'm going to go chill on Beach Planet with all my money from the Aldani mission. And then you're finding out that, like, nope, he gets arrested, you know. And then the three episodes after that are the prison storyline and the prison break, you know. And then the final two episodes are the, The the funeral of Marva and the final riot. And then you've got all these, like, smaller plots underneath that you know what's going on with bix and you know the the group back on ferrix and what's going on with, with mon mothma and her group and you know what's going on with cyril and his mom and what's going on with dedra and what's going on with you know but if jj abrams had done this show for instance you know It would have been like. Cassian Andor gets arrested. What is the secret of the part he is making in the thing, you know? And then it would have been like 12 episodes of that. And at the beginning, you're like, he's building a part for the Death Star. And then it would have been like 12 episodes later, it would have been like. He was building a part for the Death Star! Bum, bum, bum. I mean, we
0: do get that with the post credit scene, but it's kind of already known at that point.
1: But the thing is, like, the second he gets in there, you're like, he's building a part for the Death Star. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter what he's building. The... The thing is, is that, like, how do you turn somebody who really doesn't want to be part of your prison break into the guy who leads your prison break and gives the bomb-ass speech for your prison break? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, that's the point of that. And it's like, what you're building is, like, that's a post-credit scene where you could go, like, oh, yeah, and by the way, he was building a thing for the Death Star. And you're like, knew it. Like, it's cool. It's a tag at the end. But that's not the point. The point is for Andy Serkis to get up and be like, "One way out, you bastards! Swim, <laughs> swim!" Oh, by the way, I can't swim. And then you're like, "Oh my God, he can't swim! I'm gonna cry!" You know? Yeah. Like that's the point of that. What they're making? Like, if there'd have been like a thing at the end, and it was like they're making widgets to make the cereal that Carn eats, you'd have been like that is just as impactful as if it was
0: the Death Star part. Yeah. Because and it doesn't matter in the end. And the fact that if this was any other show, and, you know, I love the Marvel shows, but if this was, like, for, for example, if this was a Marvel show, the final episode would have been, like, Mon Mothra and Andor meeting. And they don't in this entire series. They don't even know each other exist yet. That is something I am looking forward to in season two. Yeah, if it and, happens. It,
1: it might not. And the thing is is like it it really doesn't matter because the entire point of the series is it takes a galactic village to even strike the tiniest blow at the empire. And that sucks and it's painful and it's awful, yeah, but it's important. Everything these people are doing is the most important thing in this galaxy. I get why this show is not for some people. You know, wh- one of the people I respect most, a, a YouTuber, Steve Shives, it put out a video where he talked about Andor wasn't for him. He watched it. He... Did not particularly, he was not particularly compelled by it, but he still put out a video talking about why he respected it. That he respected the choices it made. He respected that it didn't give in to fan service. He respected that it got away from Skywalkers and lightsabers and the Force. He respected that it did his own, its own thing. In the end, it wasn't super compelling to him, but he liked the ethics of the show. He liked the what, what it wanted to say. He liked the way it tried to structure its story, even if he didn't particularly enjoy it as it, its own thing, you know? And I'm glad to have people out there saying that kind of thing. Because there's media that I watch that, you know, I've talked about certain things on the show, too, where I'm like, this is not for me. When I sit down, I don't particularly enjoy it, but I respect it. I understand what it was trying to do, and I'm glad it has an audience. So if you watched it and you weren't the audience, okay, I un- I understand that. I get that for a lot of people it was rather slow paced um, and that they would have liked more action or something, you know, but to me it was intense and riveting and I found all of the characters super compelling and, you know, so I don't. Agree with you, but I uh, I understand What a lot of people are saying um, But I just I want different media to exist I want there to be Cartoon Star Wars Cartoon Star Wars is generally not for me I don't particularly watch it, but I want it to exist I want there to be Star Star Wars for 7 year olds and I want there to be Star Wars for 40 year olds, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a I think that's a good place to, uh, to end this. Uh, so uh another another week, another redundant question. But Kiki, does the first season of Andor have the magic? I mean for me, yes. I I loved every bit of this
1: top to bottom.
0: For me, I think 12 episodes is a bit long. I feel like it could have been 6 or 6 or 8 episodes, but that's a nitpick. I I definitely love this this season. I love what they were trying to do with it. Uh again, uh say what you will, but the fact that they had a unique idea, committed to it and they're doing another season of it. Yeah, it's really good. I I liked it. And, uh, yeah, I definitely see that uh, Andor has the magic. I can't wait for season two whenever that comes out. Yeah. So let's move on to next week. A new year, Kiki. 2023 is going to have a lot of anniversaries. The big one being that it's the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. But there is another anniversary we're going to be celebrating. An anniversary of adventures in space and time because a certain british sci-fi show is coming to disney plus next year which gives us an excuse to finally get into doctor who Yay! This is going to be our biggest project to date, because we are going to go through the entire 60-year franchise of Doctor Who, starting next week with the first Doctor, William Hartnell. And that is going to be fine. Uh, Classic Doctor Who is not my expertise. I am more into the modern Who, or new Who, for certain fans call it. So it's going to be very very interesting to go back to where it started the first doctor and watch these old black and white episodes. Yeah,
1: I am I am so stoked. Oh.
0: So let's get into Tardis. Let's set the year back to 1963 and watch classic doctor who next week and hopefully you will join us on that trip through time and space and yeah so come back next week as we talk for the first time doctor who the first doctor and we will talk to you all next time Bye. bye don't let the magic stop here join our conversation online on facebook at rewatching the magic, Twitter at rewatch the magic, and of course, new episodes every week at rewatching the Remember, the magic is for
1: everyone,
0: it only stops if you let it.
1: If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is ACLU.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.